publishing a book is a victory, but it's not the end. After you sweep up the confetti and wash the champagne flutes, what's next? Authoring Onward is the podcast about those steps after your first publication. Going from published author to having a long-term writing career. And that has no clear endpoint and plenty of ups and downs. But telling stories for the long-term is so, so worth it. Sit back, listen, and together, let's author Onward. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Authoring Onward. I'm Connie B. Dowell, and um, for today's episode, Joy E. Held and I had a chat with author Suzanne Dunlap um, about her historical fiction, about writing historical fiction, researching, um, and about incorporating or using one's family history as inspiration for creating historical fiction. So this is a great listen if you've ever thought about writing historical fiction, if you are a historical fiction writer, or if you just get really inspired by history, because of course, there's a lot of great works of fiction set in modern times that still have historical inspiration or elements. And you never know what your family history or your local history or something that's that's this place that a lot of folks come to. It's a kind of a question that a lot of folks have, that they're inspired by their family history or their local history or something where they have that personal connection. So you never know why your personal connections to the past could lead you as a writer. So we have a wonderful chat. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, and just as a brief reminder, Joy is still doing her journal and writer wellness swag giveaway. Link for that is going to be in the show notes. So let's jump into today's interview with Suzanne. All right. Well, today on the podcast, um, Joy and I are talking to Suzanne Dunlap. So welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We're so glad. Hi. Yeah, well, Suzanne, would you like to um, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your work? Okay, I'm an author and a book coach. I write historical fiction, but I coach a lot of things. And um, a book coach is a little bit different from an editor. I work one-on-one with writers and uh, help them through all the, anywhere from the very beginning to getting started with a revision or whatever. And uh, it's, it's tremendously rewarding work. I really enjoy working with, with writers on, especially historical fiction, but lots of other things too. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, and maybe tell us a little bit about your historical novels. Um. Sure. I um, actually just had a novel come out on August 30th, The Portraitist. Uh, with She Writes Press. And this is part of a continuum for me. I write about uh, women in the arts, basically, and started with music. I have a PhD in music history, and I took a lot of those, what I learned in the stories, and I thought, I want to share these with a broader audience. And I started writing, writing them into fiction, which was tremendous fun. <laughs> a lot more fun than writing academic papers. <laughs> so anyway, um, 
so I, I mostly have musicians, a lot of musicians in my, in my uh, novels, because I myself also, I'm a pianist. And, uh, but I've sort of branched out as well. And I write for adults and teens. I have a, a historical mystery series for teens that has a young female violinist as the protagonist, and she's the mystery solver. And it takes place in eighteen in the 18th century, which is kind of my century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I've written across many different periods. Um, yeah, so the most recent one takes place in the 18th century in Paris, and it's about a, a woman artist, Adelaide Labiguillard, and uh, it's called The Portraitist. Cool. So you definitely have some kind of themes. I can see where, where that would draw you to women in the arts and all different mm-hmm. kinds of arts. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I write historical as well, and I think um, at least some of my work is historical. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting, some of us have more of an academic background that draws us there, um, and then some don't. So uh, you mentioned you're, you're a book coach and you, you work um, with some historical writers. What are, what mm-hmm. are some things uh, that you see, different kinds of backgrounds? Well, it's interesting uh, what inspires someone to do a novel like that, because it, I mean, in, in, a, in a way, any novel involves the same process, it's, it's story. However, with historical fiction, you have to be, you have to dig into the research a lot more and you, you create, you're creating a world just like you would in, in fantasy, because it's a world that your reader's not going to be familiar with. So anyway, um, the inspiration for that, I have a couple of different clients doing it. And I would say several started from the point of view of something they discovered in their family history, that Mm -hmm. they really wanted to explore family history or local history is another one. Um, Something that's that touches you personally. Um, And it, it's a really great way to to explore history because it's relevant to you. Um, the other thing that can sometimes happen is somebody goes somewhere or stumbles across something. I have a, a client who's writing a dual timeline uh, about the founding of Acadia National Park in Maine because she fell in love with the place when she went to visit it. So, um, you know, the, different things like that. Um, and of course, I've forgotten what your question actually was. I got lost on my own tangents there. I think you kind of answered it. Like, what's what inspires people to pursue? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, for me, yes, and and uh, academics, yes, I, that happens. But if if someone's staying in the academic world, often they don't. It's it's kind of a jar to go from having to prove everything, having to support everything to making stuff up, <laughs> which you have to do in historical fiction. It doesn't, can't be just exactly what happened because um, you're filling in the re- whole reason for, for historical fiction is filling in the gaps and making it come alive in a way for a modern reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you raised a lot of good, um, good points about uh, those, those differences and about world building as an important part of creating historical fiction because it's a world um, that is just as foreign to a reader as you know a fantasy or science fiction world that you have to create 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, too, is it's not just creating it in terms of, you know, the environment. You have to think about everything. And and often, just as you're writing, you suddenly go, oh, what did, what would they be eating for dinner? Because <laughs> you know? that can be really different depending on where and when. Um, of course, clothes, that's obvious. Transportation. Uh, weather, how how they how they protect themselves from the weather, um, you know, just and and a big one that that I spend a lot of time with is how long does it take to get from A to B, based on the kind of transportation they had available to them, and um, and then the other thing is too, you're writing for a modern audience who expects to read a certain way. However, you don't want to introduce anachronistic concepts. And, and or or words even words that didn't exist like rewind that that's not a word that that necessarily existed in the sense that we use it before there were tapes around you know before there were like videotapes or audio tapes or anything like that so so it's it can be a challenge yeah it can be um and there's yeah there's levels of like how intense you want to be about uh your word choices because i know there are some historical novelists that get really very very into um the etymology and when words arrived and then there's also a certain point when you go far enough back in history where you just have to roll with modern words absolutely and i have books set in the 13th century and absolutely you can't you know it's really hard you just have to what it has to be is believable to the reader you know, it has to make, you can't jar the reader out of that time with your word choice, you know, something or in, or something obvious, obviously, you know, that that would relate to a, an internal combustion engine or something like that <laughs> when in the 13th century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One that's always bothered me is, um, I just sort of like voicing my own personal historical fiction pet peeve here is when, like, when I see, okay written oh, yeah. early and I go, no, that got popular in World War One. No. Yeah. Yeah. In that sense, yes. And um yeah, there there are words like that that maybe were around but weren't being used in the yeah. sense that we use them now. And then there's the opposite. I remember getting really annoyed when people started using gifting as a verb, to gift mm-hmm. as a verb. And I thought, oh, why can't you just say give? And then, but you know what? Gifting was around a long, long time. It's, it, you know, you have something in your gift and you're able to gift it to someone. And there's a subtle difference in meaning between gifting and giving. You can give someone a disease, but you don't <laughs> gift them a disease. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, but very true. And I will try mm-hmm. to remember that every time I see gifting and think, but it could be given. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. There's a lot of interesting little little choices, um, and little details that make historical fiction come alive. Um, even like you mentioned, calculating the the time that it would take to get from one place to another, um, and that has to be really difficult. The further back you get. In history, like I'm writing in the early 20th century, and I just love that there are like bus schedules and tram <laughs> schedules, and yes. I can figure it yeah. out. Yeah, it makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. But you know, here's a here's a 
little trick that I've sort of figured out is if someone's riding a horse somewhere, you go onto Google Maps and you take the distance and you see what it would take to ride a bicycle that distance. And that's sort of a good uh, comparison to what it might've taken for a horse. Yeah. That's pretty neat. And, you know, little, yeah. Little trick. Interesting. I had yeah. thought of doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a desperation. <laughs> if you're looking, it's like, come on, somebody tell me what this is. Yeah, it's yeah, a neat little trick. Um, so how do you handle, um, again, like another sort of pet peeve of historical novelists of, the things that are in fact historically accurate, but your audience will assume that they're not because yeah, there's a lot of those. Yeah, there, there are a lot of those. And, and the, I think in a way the reader is, is the test because they'll get jolted out of the story if they think that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, you may be saying, yes, damn it, it's right. That's, I know that's correct, but it doesn't matter if your reader doesn't think it's correct. So I think you are on the side of, yeah, that's going to that's gonna nudge them. And, and I don't want to pull them out of the story with something that's not that important for them to, to understand, as it were. Yeah, as you can see, my whole thing is story, story, story first. Um, you have to create this really good reading experience and just drag your reader right through it and not let them get distracted by things that don't matter. Yeah. Yep. And I guess you could save a lot of those fun details for, for your newsletter or something. Yes, exactly. You can do that. And you can also, in the other thing that I say to people, especially writers who are really worried about getting all the history right and inventing things, I say, that's what the author's note is for. You say this is this actually happened. However, this character I invented because it needed it for you know whatever. Or I had to change this. I had to meld these two historical figures into one for the sake of the story. In whatever those decisions that you make, um, if you explain them to the reader, usually they're like, oh okay, yeah, I could buy that. I made up something really kind of daring for my portraitist novel, and um, and I based it on. Uh, on something that would have happened in the in the art world in the 18th century or could have it's something that I knew was prevalent but there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever that my artist participated in this but I needed it for the story so mm -hmm. but I then explain that at the end but yeah Suzanne on research uh, for yourself and for the authors that you coach doing historical fiction, um, when's it time to end the research for a particular book? Okay, uh, this is something I've written about recently. <laughs> and I also have a course online about this called Rain in Your Research. Because, yes, you got to do a lot of research. There's no question about it. But there comes a point when, when I think you're using it as an excuse not to actually get to the page. And, and that's something you need to ask yourself, whether that's the case while you're researching and you haven't written a word. The other thing is, I mean, I'm speaking from my own experience, the kind of writer I am. I research to the point 
till I get to the point where I'm like, I have the story in my mind. I'm like, oh God, I can't wait to write this. And so then I start writing and I still haven't done all the research. I get to a point where I say, hmm, I need to know this. <laughs> and so there I take a break and I go and research it. And, you know, that happens. And also, even after you've got a first draft, sometimes you discover stuff that that you have to go back and fix. Um, so I think that you do enough research and, and you, the reason you rein it in, as so to speak, is once you've figured out the boundaries of your story, you have to narrow your research to those boundaries. Because, <laughs> I mean, for instance, the French Revolution happened during my book, <laughs> my most recent book. And I did not try to become an expert in the French Revolution or figure out everything about it. I only focused on what would affect my character, what she would have experienced, what the the parts of it. And it was fascinating because there's this whole all this stuff going on with the Academy Royale during this time with their trying to do, you know, the factions and all that sort of thing. And that would have been what she was involved in, not so much the political stuff. So excellent. Excellent information and advice. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's one of my pet sort of things. It's like I'm a crusader for not doing all the research and knowing absolutely everything there is to know. And you know, people I've been on <laughs> I've been on a call. I I have this wonderful character, historical character in my historical mystery series, who's going to be in the next one when I actually get to writing it. Um, uh, the Chevalier, uh, God, no, no names. Anyway, he was a black violinist, or at least partly black violinist in 18th century Paris, who knew Mozart and was very famous. Oh, and you know who he is. And I, why can't I, can't I think of it? I can't think of the name, but I know the dude, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. It'll just suddenly come to me. Because I wrote so much about him, I can't believe I can't remember who he is. Anyway, um, so uh, where did this kind of, this guy come from? <laughs> what were we talking about? I got lost trying to remember his name. Um, let's try to back up. We were, we were at Joy's question. What was your question, Joy? My question was about knowing when the research is uh, done enough yeah. and how oh, you, right, you right. to tell oh, readers. I know. I was going to tell you, I was on an event, a Zoom event where we were taught, where I was talking about this book and I had researched him at this particular period that my book covered because, and I'd read all sorts of stuff, but I, I had sort of picked through and chosen the bits that that were important to my book and um it was in a some way it was for an alumni thing and somebody people kept just asking me all about the details of his life and where he was. I was like you know I can't really answer that <laughs> I've read the books there are out there but you know and because I wasn't focusing on that particularly and now he's going to appear in the next one. And for that, I have to, I have to go into more of that because it's a little bit later, but um, yeah. So, so it's, it's a great thing to do, but it also comes with a few little possible hiccups. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah, definitely. And, and as you mentioned, like you'll, you'll ride along and you don't always know what you need to know until you need to know it. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it's, um, 
Yeah, you can it's never a, say it's judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a judgment call basically, and it's something that you get used to doing as you write different historical novels, and uh, also it it sort of depends on how much you're inventing. For instance, my 13th century novels, all the characters are invented in it, except for a couple of historical figures. Whereas with this, with the portraitist, almost none of the characters are invented. Mm. So once, once you're not inventing characters, you have to dig into the history a little bit more. So um, about then when, as Connie just said, so you're riding along and you come up to a place, like you said, um, oh, wait, I, I need to go, I need something more, or I need to go to my resources. Um, how much planning or outlining do you do? I understand that historical fiction has an inherent timeline because, you know, we know what happened to certain, some degree at that time period in that location. Um, but how do you outline or plan a book around that existing historical timeline concept? Well, first of all, again, I start with the story I want to tell. And that story will probably take place in a chunk of that timeline, a very finite chunk. And um, as far as outlining goes, I actually do something that, that I learned through my book coaching training, which is there's a, a, a fabulous tool that Jenny Nash kind of developed in which we've all adapted for our individual purposes called The Blueprint. And there's a book. <gasps> You've got it. Blueprint for a book. It's really great. And people can do it on their own. But it's really excellent to sort of work with a coach on, too, because you get the feedback. And especially things like the inside outline, it's a hard, a little bit tricky to grasp. And I can tell you that what happens this is a this is an outline just for for people listening where you you sketch out the scene scene by scene scene and then below it the point another but the point is not why you're writing that scene why that scene is there it's what it how it matters to your protagonist and either one of those things can connect to the next scene in a cause and effect relationship and if that happens throughout you end up with a pretty good narrative drive. If you're suddenly chunked in and you can see where, oh, this has to happen here because that's a result of that. That was their, their you know, the reaction, um, decision, consequence kind of trajectory of scenes and characters and that sort of thing. So I usually do an inside outline and I'll tell you it's hard work. <laughs> It's really hard work to do that, uh, but it. But in the end, it's so it saves me so much effort because instead of just writing along and grinding to a halt at one point, and then having to figure out what's going to happen next and why, you've sort of got that. You've got it mapped out, but it's not a scene by scene detailed outline. It's not an outline per se, although it's called an inside outline. And anyway. Anyway, I'm a I'm not a an outliner. I'm more of a pantser, and this this inside outline works for me because it's kind of a nice uh, compromise between the two. Because it's a rare writer who can just sit down and spill words on the page and end up with a really good book. 
that that's true. my opinion anyway yeah, that's yeah. true yeah yeah, but we do have we do have an additional challenge as historical fiction authors of laying the story we want to tell over the historical timeline that we can't change too much. Right. Except, you know, and there are places and, uh, you know, there are there there's wiggle room. And the, as you <laughs> said earlier, that's what the author's notes are for. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, that that's really, really interesting to hear you explain the inside outline. Uh, overlaid on, uh, you know, a, an existing historical timeline that is kind of concrete that you have yes. to work off of. And and there's some very useful tools that you can help that can help you with that that I use. I use I always draft in Scrivener, for instance, and I'm not being paid to say that, but then it's a tool that works for some people and not others. But I can't imagine doing it without it because you can see your your structure as you're going. And then there's a thing called Eon Timeline, which you can sync with Scrivener. And you can put in all your historical dates, your immutable historical dates in there and your and map your story on top of it. So you don't you're not saying and this and such a date, something's happening, and you realize, oh my gosh, that would have influenced, that would have had some effect on my character. I need to I need to actually yeah, acknowledge yeah, yeah. that. Yes. That's the point. That's the point yes. of you know, that's the point that historical fiction authors um, sometimes find as a block and sometimes find sometimes find as an inspiration to, for the story. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know what's really funny? And it happens. I, I swear it happens. Um, I'm thinking about I'm about to start working on another novel and uh, I and it takes place in 13th century Sicily. And I know what my, my vague story is. It's all made up characters pretty much for this, because again, it's hard once you go back that far to, to get a lot of the history. However, as, I'm, as I have this idea of what is going to be the point of the book, and I'm looking back, just digging around a little bit history, I just find stuff that supports that. <laughs> you know, it's like suddenly it's, you know, 13th century Sicily was a place that was very, tolerant there was a lot of different uh things a big connection with africa a lot of people muslims and everybody were there and um in fact there's some ideas that the, the my my book is about a young woman who is has an affinity for birds of prey and that a lot of that came from the africans who came to sicily and and that but then there's the northern influence and all that sort of thing and um and you know, I think oh, I'm going to have to make this all up. And then I think, no, I don't. This really happened. This is really here. You know? yeah. What so, a, yeah. What a, what a fun, what fun jewels to find. Yeah. 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 That's when the writing universe is on your side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it, it surprises me how often that happens, but I think also it's maybe a question of just being open to it and alive to it and, and really, understanding on a deeper level that the research isn't just about facts it's about a sort of gestalt of the era of uh influences and all that sort of thing and and that's as a as an academic that's what kind of excites me um it just happens to be really useful for writing fiction as well great way to put it thanks mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, now, 
I know you mentioned as we were chatting a little bit before the interview that one of the things that kind of draws people into writing historical fiction sometimes is digging back into their own family history. Could you speak to that a little bit? Sure. And I think that's a great way to do it because writing a novel of any kind, and especially historical novel, is a huge undertaking. And you need to be passionate and really, really devoted to the whole thing in order to get through it and whatever floats your boat when it comes to that. And I think family history is a terrific way to go in because first of all, you may have access to records and things that aren't out in the public domain, you know, especially if you have letters and diaries from the people involved, those aren't, nobody else is going to be able to find those. So that's really, really, um, that's a real advantage to you for writing that particular story. The caveat is your your ancestor or group of ancestors or whatever may be incredibly fascinating to you, but you also have to make sure they're going to be make a really good story. So the story you create has to obey all the rules of good storytelling. And that means, you know, that means too that you may be inventing stuff. <laughs> that you that you may have to create a character that ties these events together and and or in, inject some conflict that wasn't in the original story because that's a, that's a temptation too when you're writing from your family history you want it to be good <laughs> you want it everybody to be likable and all that sort of thing but you know or maybe not but um but you have to find those points of conflict that will make a good story and that's one of the things i've helped several clients do it's like one came to me with this vast tableau of an ancestor who came from germany to the deep south in the civil war and all this kind of stuff and i said wait 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 we're not starting in germany germany is not where the story really begins you know it actually begins where the action begins and um so that was you know that's that's kind of one of the things i really love doing is helping people kind of figure out where exactly where is that story and how are you going to bring it to life? Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good point. Um, I, I know I've seen that in, in other writers groups where people who have delved really deep into genealogy and sometimes just have way too much information or they're very, mm-hmm. very tied to facts and it feels really dry and not like a story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's a if you want to write a family history, that's something else altogether, and that's perfectly valid to do. You know, if you write, especially if you're writing it for your family, if you want to have a record for children and grandchildren, so they know this, this, these things about your family. If you want to write a novel, the story is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, this has been a really fascinating chat, Suzanne. Um, Joy, did you have a, a question we hadn't gotten to yet? Well, we are all about authoring onward, but as we know, the reality of being an author is that we um, we run into roadblocks, not only in uh, you know research, as we've already uh, touched on a little bit, um, but um, personally. You know, um, as an author, just have you ever had uh, any 
do you have any tips I should say for continuing forward even though you're coming you're you're stumbling a little bit at times or how do you keep your your clients authoring onward when it seems like they've got gotten to a place or a point where they just feel like they can't go forward what do you have there yeah yeah and and I have to say everybody has that experience at one time or another it's not it doesn't it doesn't mean what matters is the people who manage to get through it and finish are the ones who will who will go on and continue writing or whatever or even just say this is the book I wanted to write okay so I'll give an example of one recently who was writing along and she got to this to a point where she had to get her characters from this point to this point and she couldn't you know it was like she was having a trouble linking them up and everything and I said look stop there is there a scene coming up that you really want to write you know jump to that scene write that scene and then figure out then go back and figure out how to get there and and I said and it's also okay to jump you don't have to go step by step by step you can say okay this stops here then three years later <laughs> or six months later that sort of thing so that's one thing that happens the other is you know um losing sight of where you're going and why you're going the why of your writing is super important it's in the blueprint as you know as you know um uh joy from that book having a strong sense of why you're writing this book is going to help you in the in the dark periods which there are um so always keeping that in mind then the other thing is if you've done your prep work and you have some kind of an inside outline or whatever version of that works for you is going back to that. And, you know, you've written along and you're stuck, go back to that and say, why am I stuck? Did I, did some, did I not prepare something that I should have prepared earlier on? Or have my, have my characters gone off in a different direction? And, and now they're kind of stuck out here. Well, sometimes you can just go back to that initial outline and look at it, just get off the page for a while, as it were, and think of it as a story, not as trying to crash, you know, trying to type words onto a page. Um, those are just some strategies. Uh, the other That's is great. put it aside for a little while. Yeah, mm -hmm. put it aside for a little while sometimes works as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, great, great pieces Good. of advice. Yeah. So. Yeah, so Suzanne, as we kind of wrap up, do you have any any parting thoughts on what we've discussed here today? Well, first of all, it's really fun to talk specifically about historical fiction with people. <laughs> I had a blog for, uh, not a blog, I had a podcast for a while myself called It's Just Historical. And I loved doing it because I got to talk to, I just would interview historical novelists and I interviewed some wonderful ones, Christina Baker Klein uh, and, you know, people like all sorts of people like that. Um, but it's too, it was too much work. I just can't do it now, but it's, it was, I miss doing that. So it's really fun. Thank you so much for having me on here to talk to Spout and, and wax lyrical about my historical fiction and about writing and, coaching historical fiction because it's really something that I feel very passionate about. 
Yeah, well, it's been fun for us to to chat with you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love a lot of what you've said. Good. I'm glad it's helpful. I mean, that's that's the teacher in me. <laughs> I I enjoy I I really like working with authors and and helping them craft their work. And I and I've had I work with people who've never written a book before. I'm also working with a multi-published international best-selling author who's got a book contract and she's kind of like, help, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I like the whole gamut of different stages and different uh, levels of writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Suzanne, would you like to share where listeners can find you and your books online? Certainly. Uh, my website is a good starting point, which is Suzanne-Lap.com. It's Suzanne with an S, Dunlap with an A. <laughs> and I'm all over social media. You can find me easily on Instagram, Facebook, and um, LinkedIn and Twitter. And uh, my books are available everywhere. I always prefer people to buy them through bookshop.org because that, that your local bookshop, if you're buying a physical copy, they get some, they get supported by that. Um, but uh, whatever, whatever retailer you prefer and Amazon, I, we all hate, hate to love them or love to hate them or something, but yeah, you can, you can find everything on Amazon, including my upcoming, what I've done. I've done this kind of crazy thing. Uh, my book, my book, The Portraitist, was about this one woman artist, but there were two very, very, uh, really excellent women artists. One of them is more well-known than the one I actually ended up writing about, but I started out doing a multi-POV monster manuscript, <laughs> which I then pared down to just this one, but I had, I wanted to tell the other story. So I am, I'm publishing, um, six novellas about the other writer called Behind the Painted Fan. And the first three are up for pre-order and the other three I hope will be out by the end of, they're written, they just need, you know, proofreading and production stuff. But, um, so that's a complete departure for me. <laughs> novellas, first of all, and, and they're only available in ebook form. I'm not, they're not printed, but they're available on all the ebook, different not just Amazon, um, you know, Kobo and, and Nook and all those things as well. So, um, yeah, but if you go to Amazon, you'll see them all anyway, whether you buy them there or not. <laughs> yeah, well, sounds good. Thank you again for coming on the show this morning. It's been a real pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yes, thank you, Suzanne. This was great. This was great. Good. Glad, glad you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Suzanne. Um, I certainly did. I enjoyed it as well. We all um, love historical fiction. I think that came through in our interview. So if you enjoyed that, I'd love to hear about it. You can always hop on the show notes at authoringonword.com. Leave us a comment. And in the show notes is also where you will find links to Suzanne's website. So you can learn more about her books and everything that she does. You can find the link to, as mentioned in the intro, Joy's um, 
giveaway that is still going on through the 15th. So there's still time to jump on that and enter that and links to get in touch with me or with Joy about coaching or editorial services. Now I can only speak to my own availability, but I know I've got just a little bit left in availability for 2022 here as we're wrapping up the end of the year and more availability in 2023. So even if you're thinking ahead, go ahead and reach out. All right, that is it for this week. Until next time, happy writing.